And we welcome you in to episode 29 of the best podcast available. We continue to chug along into June, counting down the days to the start of the 2020 NFL season and the Brown season and dribble. There were rumors out there about us maybe going somewhere for some joint practices. The last few years, we've hung out in fabulous places, Tampa, Indianapolis. Uh, this year, we will be home. So will the other 31 teams in the National Football League. No joint practices. Everybody's staying at their facilities. And uh, for some teams, it, it's it, it's almost unfathomable because, frankly, they've never had training camp at their facility, namely the Steelers, the Cowboys. I mean, there's some big changes here. Yeah, and that, it's it's interesting because for the Browns, it's it's a small development because it sounds like joint practices were in the works at some point in this in the schedule. You imagine with the relationships that Kevin Stefanski has in the NFC North that you probably get, we're going to make something work with one of those teams. So that's a small minor inconvenience. But I would say just like last year, the team that that we went and saw last year, the Colts. They've got to change all their plans. I mean, that even though that place isn't far removed from Indianapolis, they can't go there because uh, that requires staying in dorms and things like that. So this is an understandable move. And I think a lot of us probably expected the joint practice announcement just because you want to eliminate anything like this that's not completely necessary. I don't know if all of us fully thought through that the possibility of stopping these teams from practicing where they normally practice was uh, in the cards. And I do think at least you mentioned the Cowboys. They practice, isn't it, every other year back in Dallas. So this isn't that big of an adjustment, that, but they were supposed to go to California yeah. this year. So, But I, I do wonder the teams like the Colts, the Steelers, the, the, that's going to be a major adjustment because this has been part of what they do for years. Yeah, and, and I look at it, is it the Saints that go to the Greenbrier that leave New Orleans? I believe their deal was up, though. I think okay. they're already going back. There was a team, I forget who it was, there was a team that was – leaning toward don't being the next team at that Greenbrier resort. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at teams in Texas and teams in California and, you know, the Cardinals um, pretty crazy and how they're going to have to adjust on the fly. And I think all Pittsburgh fans and Pittsburgh Steelers brass have ever known is Latrobe PA for training camp. So uh, some big changes coming for some of these football teams. For us, you're right. We have the, we're lucky enough that we have the facilities. But um, even a team like the Bengals, who doesn't have an outdoor or an indoor facility, I mean, right. what happens with bad weather? Well, they, they've been dealing with that for the last couple of years, haven't they? They've been able to go, I think, to the University of Cincinnati. Oh, okay. They have a complex, but you can't go there. I mean, that's, that's technically breaking the rule, I think. Jeez. So. I mean, if you get a rainy late summer, you know, we've had those before where we've, <laughs> we've had some major weather issues. I mean, things could really, uh, things could really change uh, a lot for some of these teams as they prepare for 2020. As we take a look at our own football team, we had a couple of guys address the media this week. Joel Batonio, our Pro Bowl guard. Uh, always good to hear from him and always some really – pointing in comments, and, and you learn a little bit when, when Joel talks is he's become the elder statesman of this football team. Your takeaways from Joel Batonio's meeting with the media earlier this week. I think he was a good person to, to hear from uh, in light of kind of the recent events, and he, he did. He gave some good insight 
uh, a couple nuggets and mostly about one Kevin Stefanski really stressing how uh, proactive these players should be and, and kind of turning words into actions uh, with the latest uh, kind of the, the movement and racial equality. And I think that that's something uh, clearly that, that Stefanski believes in. I think he wants to empower his players to use their platform uh, for the best. And I think secondly, you know, we've seen Jarvis Landry be pretty, pretty outspoken on social media and that clearly carried into the, the, t the Zoom meeting room that the, the guys had early Monday, get very, from what Joel said, a very emotional speech and really affected some guys. And, you know, Jarvis is now in his third year with the team. He's an older player in the league. He's comfortable uh, in his, in his position, I think, as a, as an outspoken leader on this to uh, team. And I think he'll be maybe one of the, the, maybe the figureheads for this team moving forward and kind of just being outspoken against these injustices. And I think that's a, it's a good place for the Browns to be uh, moving forward. And I think it was, it was good to hear from Joel uh, just kind of the inner workings of what's going on in these meetings. Cause I think it's at this time of year, it's more than just about football. Yeah. I think the other big takeaway from Joel, he really likes some of our new offensive linemen. <laughs> um, uh, again, that that room seems to be gelling at a really impressive rate for not being able to be together together and on the field working together. The chemistry that's coming along with all of them, including our draft pick, uh, Jedrick Wills, uh, everything seems to be clicking on all cylinders with that offensive line room. Yeah, and it's just one of those things where you can't wait to get them on the field. I mean, that's that's going to be the big thing. We We keep hearing about all the chemistry that comes in these meeting rooms and I think it's great, but, you know, I, I just want to see what Jedrick Wills looks like playing left tackle. And I think that's the, the thing that we're probably just not going to see for until training camp. And I think that's the, the way these things seem to be trending. I mean, there's still hope that you can get in a mini camp here, but, uh, you know, you, you might be running out of time when it comes to making a decision on that. So uh, I, I just want to see these guys play football. And I think it's just going to be, again, the, the mental aspect of this with installing a new playbook, the Browns are at a disadvantage. But when it comes to the actual physical act of playing football, everyone's going to be on the same page. So hopefully uh, once they get on the field, there, there shouldn't be too much of some hurdles to overcome. It's probably just going to be a less physical training camp. I think we have to get ready uh, to, to buckle in for that because I think that the adjustment period will just won't be there. Uh, so I, 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 the offensive line just needs to make the most out of every single rep it gets. And, that's going to be even more so. We've, we've gone through so many of these training camps where injuries affect these guys and keep them on the field. That Keeping these guys on the field is going to be so huge uh, for, the, for this upcoming season. And I would say I would follow that up with, with every day that goes by and every week that goes by, it definitely looks more and more. And you're starting to hear some of the national media pundits and their sources telling them the next time we see these guys in the building probably won't be until training camp. Yeah, I mean, you're just you're now you're the NFL has had time on its side for from the very beginning of this, and it still does. Uh, but at some point, you're going to have to reach the end of this part of the program, give them a little bit of a break, and then go into training camp. I think that part is unavoidable. You're not going to be able to stretch this out and and only give maybe a week or two break between the training camp and the off season program. That's probably not fair to the players. So uh, I think that that's where these next couple weeks I think are going to be probably pivotal in, in knowing if, if there is going to be any chance of these players getting together before training camp. Yeah, no question. The other gentleman from our football team that talked this week, the offensive coordinator of your Cleveland Browns, Alex Van Pelt met with the media on Wednesday. Gribbs, uh, obviously everybody wants to know about Baker Mayfield's footwork, but I, I don't really know how you deal with that when 
you, you're not seeing the guy in person, but a lot of questions about Baker's footwork, but uh, a lot of things coming out of the offensive room and Alex Van Pelt. Yeah, he seemed pretty optimistic, and he let, I think he, the big thing is his takeaway about Baker and kind of the the adamancy of, of, of the way he has asserted himself in meetings, says he's going to other position group meetings, just even though he doesn't have to be in there. And I, I think that that's what you want to see out of your third-year quarterback. And I, I think that part has really impressed uh, Alex Van Pelt. And I, I think he wouldn't have given Baker this, this change to his footwork if he didn't think he could handle it. And I, I think that that's clearly something that Baker's been receptive to. Uh, and it's just going to be a matter of drilling it in. And again, it, I think he Baker has the advantage of playing a position where he can still do a lot of practicing. And I think that that he can practice this footwork. He can do a lot of throwing. He can do stuff with with meet with guys in Austin. Guys like Jedrick Wills can only do so much. They can't. You're not going to be uh, finding four big guys to block with and and doing all that kind of stuff. So. I think there's a lot that Baker's been able to accomplish, and it's it sounds like that the progress has been really good. Yeah. What else did you take away from the offensive coordinator's comments on Wednesday? Well, I think the big news that came out of it was the the, the his comments about Odell Beckham Jr., about how he's been all in and really participating in OTAs. That was clearly a storyline that got old last year, week after week. And, and I think that that was good to hear, and I think that puts – what could have been another story to bed. And I, I think it's, it's good to have him involved because you know you need these guys on the same page offensively. And we knew at this point of the year, even if things were normal, Odell and Jarvis wouldn't be on the field with these guys right now. They'd, they'd be rehabbing their injuries. So this part of it is very important. And I think getting these guys as prepared as possible for maybe potentially the limited reps they're able to get in training camp, I think is huge. Because we know Jarvis is recovering from a pretty serious injury. Same with Odell. Uh, unsure on Odell's timetable to return, but uh, you know you you might you got to prepare as if you're not going to have them every single day in training camp. So so maximizing these opportunities and just having an understanding of a brand new offense is, is huge and important for for this team's future. No question about it. Uh, I, I was very happy to hear about how active he's been and what a leader you know Jarvis Landry is becoming of this football team before our eyes from both Joel Batonio and Alex Van Pelt. So that's what's going on around Berea. We continue to wait and see what training camp will look like and, of course, what the 2020 NFL season will end up looking like now less than 100 days away from kickoff of the 101st season of the National Football League. Time now for our interview of the week, and it's a good one. We wanted to kind of start getting to know some of the new coaches some of, the, some of the front office personnel, uh, maybe some guys that have been in the building for a while that just got promoted. Compliments of our new GM, Andrew Barry, like Glenn Cook, who is now the vice president of player personnel, all-around great guy. He's got a great jump shot. Gribble can attest to it. Pretty good basketball game. Uh, we delve into a number of different things with Mr. Cook. Have a watch and have a listen. And we're happy to be joined right now on the best podcast available by our new vice president of player personnel, Glenn Cook, joins us. My friend, congratulations on a well-deserved promotion uh, under the new Andrew Barry regime. And the last time we saw you in person was at the NFL Combine. Clearly, it's been a few months, and it's there's been a lot going on. So why don't you kind of... Give us the Cliff Notes version of what's gone on with you here in these past few months uh, that have been pretty crazy around the world. Well, we had a draft. I'm not sure if you uh, 
got a chance to see that. No, uh, so I'm actually sitting in, in, in my office for the first time since about, yeah, 12 weeks ago, as we just talked about, uh, really just trying to get reacclimated and, and work through this first phase. Uh, hopefully we get everybody back in the building, but we've kind of transitioned, uh, you know, from, from picking players to now just calibrating our process and, and kind of getting our group caught up on any changes that we're going to make this off season. So it's been uh, a little bit of a nice reprieve from the chaos uh, a few months ago and just taking a step back and, and cleaning up certain parts of our process. Glenn, when you left the office back in March, did you ever think that the draft would even go the way it did with, with you guys all being a part? I mean, was that even, were you even thinking about that? I tell everybody, honestly, the only difference is not being in the room. I think at least our group did a really good job from Trex and, and the IT department and Brad and our football information systems group to the coaching staff, scouts, like everyone really was unflappable, came together and did exactly what was necessary to make it a, a pretty successful draft. So, you know, outside of missing that interaction of fist bumping and, and, and getting excited and putting on suits, uh, <laughs> you really did not notice uh, much difference once you got on the clock. Just going back to that, though, how important was it to go into that situation and have kind of a an organized plan? Because obviously, if it's not organized, that could probably be, be tough to deal with uh, over, over these kind of last few months. No, that's a good question. Uh, you know, Andrew is extremely organized. And I, I think it was, it, it was, first of all, it was really good uh, having him come in with a group that was familiar with him. And so everyone really was able to transition pretty quickly. Uh, we pulled the draft board uh, in February somewhat without uh, many bumps. And then everyone, I think, across the league was fortunate to get to go to the combine. So having all those bits of information, having been through the fall already and, and gotten all the scouting piece uh, collected, I don't think, uh, you know, we – really had to make hard decisions until we got into, and when I say hard, it was one of those where there were really deep conversations until we got to the third round pick, uh, where it was Jacob Phillips a little bit. But otherwise, we'd done so many uh, mock draft situations and scenario planning, we were pretty, pretty on top of it. I, I was gonna say, I think if there was a team that was in, the forefront and the team that was more than equipped to handle this, it was, it was you guys, you mentioned the IT department, but the number of guys that had experience and, and were able to not miss a beat because of the technology aspect, you guys, yeah. re everything seemed to flow better than advertised. Yeah. I, I, I joked our, our biggest hiccup was probably the mock draft. <laughs> we actually had some, some technical difficulties in that, but uh, outside of that, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have a group that's pretty proficient in teams and and any of the other new technology that have come out. And even, even you know, some of the ones who were not, everyone was adaptable and, and learned pretty quickly. So, yeah, it, it definitely worked out pretty well from that standpoint. Now, from your guys' department, what is the biggest difference now in the, in the, on the schedule it, now with maybe no practices happening in the facility or no spring practices for college football right now? 
Yeah, just, a, you know, a couple of those, those growth opportunities together as a group to sit around, um, you know, do a little bit of, like I said earlier, calibration on our process, uh, do a little bit, a bit of historical research in terms of picks and decisions that we've made, other teams have made. Uh, again, we're still having some of those conversations. Uh, and again, we're, we're still working through uh, some of those transitions uh, and some of our guidelines and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it's, it's doable. Fortunately, we have Zooms and Teams and whatnot, but it's a little bit more fun and efficient when we're in the room and can really uh, get a sense of where everyone fell on certain decisions and kind of talking through a guy who's been in the league for three or four years. So that's, that's probably the main difference. Um, this is a little bit more of a, a downtime for us, and we've kind of handed it off to the coaching staff and uh, players to hopefully make us – you know, look good as a, as a unit. And then what's it been like now welcoming in a new guy like uh, Kwesi and his role as VP of football operations and how is he kind of kind of meshed into the, the, the setup that you guys have going now? Yeah, I think once you guys get to know Kwesi, you'll see it's probably not hard to, uh, to bring him into the fold. Uh, he's extremely intelligent, uh, tons of energy, uh, but at the same time, he's a continuous learner, soaks up information, you know, like a super sponge. It was really us trying to keep up with Quays, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, he's he's a pretty hyped and energetic individual. So it's been pretty seamless uh, in that regard. Quays has been fun to work with from afar and, and getting him in the building is going to be even funner. How many different scenarios are you and the crew there coming up with as it pertains to the upcoming college football season? Uh, it may happen, might not happen. You've got certain conferences that say, we're just going to play a conference schedule. What, uh, I mean, how many different scenarios do you have to come up with? Or is it really just, well, more of a reactionary deal than anything else? You know, at the end of the day, we, we have to be prepared to respond to whatever decisions the NCAA or particular states make. Uh, we have, I'd say, if I gave you a hard number, probably five to six different scenarios and contingencies we're, we're working through and, and pretty close to fleshing out. You know, it's, it's a virus that we can't control. And, I'm, you know, obviously we have to somewhat play it by ear. But we're trying to be pre as prepared as we can uh, in the event that the season goes smoothly and we're able to travel as normal. Or if teams, you know, create a little bit of a delay in terms of, uh, you know, when you can come and or maybe limitations around how many people can come. So we're trying to think through as many different possibilities as we can. And as we hear new information, we're keeping our ear to the ground in terms of the college landscape. And we'll just have to be ready to, to adapt uh, as necessary. Glenn, you mentioned earlier about, about Andrew knowing you guys and that really helping in the process. What what did it mean to kind of see now that the staff is together that the vast majority of it is people who were here before and also a lot of people now in elevated new positions and, and kind of the, the trust that he has uh, in the staff that's on hand? Yeah, you know, we talked about earning trust daily, um, you know, as a, as a senior group with uh, Mr. Haslam and, and D and J-Dub and, and just the ownership group. And, you know, trust is that core foundational piece to everything else you do. So from that standpoint, it was awesome to go into a situation where you trusted both the individual 
and uh, you know the scout per se, um, you know piece of the people you work with, because then it just became a matter of okay, how do we make the best decision? What do we need in order to make these decisions, as opposed to trying to feel out, you know, does my you know new direct report even like me? Uh, you know, where do I sit? There are a lot of things that scouts go through in terms of turnover that is really tough that people may not consider. And when you don't have to really worry about, hey, am I going to just have a job? Um, everyone's focus is on building the team and making the best decisions for the Browns. And, and for you personally, what is the big difference in now what you're doing as opposed to, to what you were doing before now? Uh, what's not different? You know? <laughs> yeah, what, what's different? What's the, what are the biggest adjustments for you in your new role? I guess? Uh, the biggest adjustment is, you know, just giving up some of the, you know, the day-to-day uh, film parts of it, uh, you know, I'm still working through how to make sure I uh, get my work done in that regards. But, you know, again, we talk, I, it goes back to what I just said, you just have to trust, trust the group to, to guide you. And, and, you know, it's, we talk about building the menu for Andrew, he's like the master chef, as, as I review it. And so, to a lesser degree, you know, we have to trust, uh, you know, myself and SAGS have to trust the rest of the group to help build that more day-to-day menu, that more uh, fall-type menu. So when we get to draft meetings, um, we're all looking and, and headed in the same direction. Was there a draft pick over the weekend, over that draft weekend, where you just kind of gave yourself a little Tiger Woods fist pump? Like, yeah, that's the guy. We got our guy. Was there a, was there a moment like that for you personally, a player maybe that you had spent a lot of time working on or looking at i i know it's gonna seem like a cop-out but it truly was a, a unified fist pump moment i think across personnel was jedrick um you know there were really good players at that position that we were targeting but if you would have told me we could walk away with jedrick at 10 i probably wouldn't have believed you um so to have him a little bit fall into our laps uh was was just a little bit of a sigh of relief, uh, to be honest with you. So that, uh, to start it off, that was a fist pump moment, um, to, to, to be frank. I know you guys are, are pretty plugged in with what other teams are going to do. But like you said, it sounds like you're pretty surprised by that. I mean, when you're going through a draft, how much anxiety is there there while you're waiting for, for other teams to behave? And, and how much do these teams make picks that you pretty much are expecting them to make? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I can put a percentage or quantify, you know, the ratio of the ones you know and the ones you're surprised by. I'd say it's, and this would fall across the league, it's pretty consistent in terms of what positions get picked. There's probably a handful of just true, oh my gosh, I did not see that coming situations every year. But I think, you know, the, the league does a pretty good job of knowing what other teams need, uh, whether it's positionally or, um, you know, trace-wise, uh, just in terms of a team's had the same philosophy for a while. But it just, you know, it comes down to a few options. And sometimes, you know, who you thought would be in their, in their range ends up not and vice versa. So I think we do a good job of probably getting that part right. The player piece is just, there's too much human error in that, in that part of it. Well, in that line of thinking, how fortunate was it that a guy like a, as accomplished as Grant becomes available for you guys at, at that point in the second round. Yeah, again, 
you know, we, we felt so good about it that, you know, obviously we moved back and, uh, you know, we hope he, he brings that ball hawking skill set that he's had at uh, LSU to our, to our team. But, you know, he had a, he had a, what some would consider a rough 2019, just battling through some injuries, but just his entire profile, his entire resume, you know, to get a player like that, you know, the first part of the second round is, is not a bad, not a bad pick. Yeah, not too shabby at all. We will take that. You yeah. missed your guys, Bishop and Zagura, doing cartwheels the night of that. Oh, goodness. On that, on that Friday night. It was, uh, it was a little crazy, to say the least. We're talking with Vice President of Player Personnel, Glenn Cook. And um, you, you take a look at this whole team, the draft process, you guys working apart until this week. But yet the coaches still aren't back in and, and the players aren't back. But what has it been like in your limited in-person workings with Kevin Stefanski and his staff? And Kevin is Mr. Cool. Uh, you know, you, you probably won't get a ton of emotion, uh, get or bad out of him. He's extremely cerebral. Um, I think he does a good job of driving the message. Uh, he's, he's been very calculated, I've noticed, just in our team meetings. I've just given our guys thoughtful things to think about, whether it's personal, related to football, uh, or other things, uh, auxiliary, but uh, he's just very, you know, I've been really impressed with just his preparedness and calculation around how he's trying to develop the group, even being away, you know, which is extremely tough when you have 90 players, multiple coaches, personnel, uh, part of the other football operations downstairs, all on a Zoom call. And, you know, he's done a really good job of just organizing that entire operations and I've learned a lot just sitting in uh, on those team meetings and, and, and other things. And it, is it safe to say that he, you guys have done a pretty good job already of identifying the, the traits that, that his staff and, and he's looking for player-wise? Because it seems like a lot of these guys check all the boxes. He's been extremely clear in the communication. It, it's it's easy, uh, easier, I'll say. Let me not, not uh, forget hubris there, but it's easier when you know what you're looking for. Uh, you know, the coaches really laid it out on both sides of the ball in terms of whether it's physically, uh, mentally, um, trace-wise, and it's just things that are scheme-specific. We were pretty, like I said, we were pretty prepared, um, you know, to make decisions around that when we got to the draft. And even when you look at our free agency um, and any other, uh, you know, later signings we've made, you know, he, he did a really good job of just helping guide us in terms of what he needs uh, in order to be successful. And I guess the one type of signing and, and player acquisitions is identifying almost like a new position at fullback. I mean, how I, that's like a, it seems like that was made point clear right away for you guys to start. Well, being a former linebacker, uh, you know, I, I miss and don't miss a fullback. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think uh, it's, it's a valuable position in, in this scheme and, you know, we feel really good about uh, bringing over Andy from Denver. Um, you know, that, that, that trade was, was something we thought through for a good amount of time uh, and we're able to pull through on that. But, uh, yeah, the fullback is, is a new position. And, you know, it's people say it's dying out, but there's still, still some pretty good ones out there. And it was going to help us have a really good running game. Uh, having a guy who's athletic and able to, you know, be versatile in this scheme like Andy and block for what I feel like is two of the best in the league is going to be really exciting to watch. 
And Glenn, I'll just ask this. I mean, for us, I mean, we've been out of the office for a couple months. I think a lot of us are anxious to get back. How much does all of this, the, the, the promotion, the new front office, and then just the waiting period you've had, what kind of excitement level do you put on just getting toward the season and getting this, this, this going? I mean, it, it, it gives you a greater appreciation for the game and some of the things you, you were able to experience day to day and, and never have to think about. Uh, I think we've all had a chance to sit around and, and think about, man, just being able to go to an 11 o'clock walkthrough or, <laughs> you know, a quick 30 minute, um, you know, walkthrough session or team meeting, sitting down at lunch with, you know, you guys and the players. I really appreciate that more. And I think we'll all show more gratitude around those opportunities just because, again, you know, until it gets taken away, sometimes you just don't know how how fragile and important those moments are. So I'm definitely excited to get people back in the building. It's a ghost town right now, uh, but I understand protocol and, and making sure uh, it's safe for, for, our, for our organization when we do bring people back. But I'm definitely excited to, to get that going. All right. So you were at the U as a linebacker from 04 to 06, 07 with an injury, 08 you played. I've gone through and found the top four players I think that you might have gone up against in practice daily. Devin Hester, Greg Olson, Travis Benjamin, Frank Gore. Who was the toughest or am I missing one? Well, my first year, uh, I mean, Kellen Winslow was there. Um, Did not see that one. That was my fault. Kind of that class was my first year. Um, It was there last year. By far the toughest was Frank Gore. Hardest guy I've ever had to tackle. One of the strongest people I've ever uh, gone up against. I think him and Maurice Jones-Drew are probably the two strongest people I've ever encountered in a football game. Um, but yeah, by far, Frank Gore is tougher than anybody. Him and Sean T, but Frank is Frank is tough as nails, as you can see with you know him still playing. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that says enough. All right, and then I have to ask one other question. You played football at Miami, but yet you got drafted by the Chicago Cubs. I did out of, out of college. Did you play baseball at the U? Now, you want the full story or the short story? Uh, we have all the time in the world, depending on you. I'll always <laughs> take so, it. Uh, so I played in high school. I actually went to my high school, Shamanai Madonna. Shout out to Shamanai, uh, which was a pretty good high school baseball team before I got there. I think we were ranked 23rd, 24th in the nation my, like, eighth grade year. So I actually went there to play baseball. That was – baseball was my first sport. And I got there, always had played football, loved it. Just went out for the team. Um, and we ended up being really, really good. John Beeson was on my team. Kerry Williams, two guys who played the NFL. Uh, we had like a class of 16 or 17 guys with D1 scholarships. Uh, but I still played baseball. Kind of was in and out of it. Scouts would come in and, and recognize like I was a, considered a five-tools player. But I just – somewhat gravitated towards football for a number of reasons, getting a scholarship offer. Went to Miami thinking I was going to be able to play both. I kind of got the, uh, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, that's a part of the package. You can come here, play both sports. Of course, I go to try talk to the, to the coaching staff about going out in the spring, and it was like, well, if you, uh, if you go out for baseball, you probably want to earn a scholarship. So that killed that. 
until I was done. And then try to cut the story down. Someone who scouted me in high school uh, reached out to me after the draft my, my last year at Miami and said, hey, having a workout, looking for some, you know, former baseball players who have athleticism and, you know, maybe potential developmental people uh, in, in the minors and want to bring you in. So go to a workout. I tell people I had an out-of-body experience because I hadn't touched the bat, hadn't thrown a ball. I was hitting homers to dead center, you know, had a really strong arm just from being in good shape from football. And so they said, hey, we're going to draft you in the third day. We don't know when or where, but just be by your phone. And the rest is kind of history. So great experience. I went, I think, like 0 for 20 in my first 20 at-bats. Couldn't catch up to a curveball and uh, kind of fought my way to 200 or close to 200 by the end of it. So it was it was fun. It was Heck fun. Yeah. I, not many people. Yeah, I took four years off, and then I got drafted by the Cubs. Yeah, no hey. big deal. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we, we appreciate your time. Congratulations on the promotion. Again, well-deserved, and we couldn't be happier for you. Uh, Gribble hopes that your jumper is all right and doing okay here. Hey, I'm – I'm ready for some basketball, man. I, that, yeah. we missed that too. I've been with, I've been in some withdrawal. I haven't played in like three months at least. Uh, basketball and flag. I don't know which one. Which yeah. one's probably okay. basketball. It will Barry, do you think Barry will hop back in the the flag football? I, I don't know. There's probably too much risk there. We we can't lose Barry uh, <laughs> going down to an ACL or something. So you may have to be. We we appreciate everything. We hope you and your family uh, continue to stay safe during this crazy time. If it's not one thing, it's another thing. And we wish you all the best of luck. And we, we all can't wait to be in the same building with you again soon. And here's hoping we're all playing some football and, and getting some Browns football in here in 2020. Now, likewise, I, I'm ready for the dog pound to, to cause a ruckus uh, this fall. So hopefully we get back out there. Thanks to Glenn Cook, the vice president of player personnel, the new VP of player personnel for the Cleveland Browns, but a guy Gribbs, uh, we've got it. We all have a great relationship with him. I mean, he is one of the more personable people that you will see from that side of the building. Uh, and we call that side of the building, the, the front office, the coaches, they have their own wing in the building. And, and sometimes those guys spend a lot of quality time behind closed doors and you don't really see them. You don't get a chance to know them. He's one of those guys, though, that uh, quite personable and a great guy. We couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, I've played some hoops with him before, too. He can, he can play some basketball also. And I, I think our new mission now is we got to get footage of that, uh, where that out-of-body experience he had where he's just mashing home runs. I, I, someone had to have recorded it somewhere. I, there's no way that no one doesn't have a copy of that. I, yeah. I mean, for him, again – when I saw it and I, and, you know, doing a little homework before the interview and, and it says drafted by the Cubs. And I'm like, okay, so he played, he played baseball at Miami and he got noticed. No, he didn't play it. Yeah. He took four years off and was good enough to be drafted into pro baseball. Okay. We can all be so lucky. So yeah. um, other big takeaways from him thoughts, uh, thoughts on what he had to say. I said, you know, I've talked, I've talked to Glenn recently and I, I've talked to the Kwesi, the new new guy, the VP of football operations. And you just get the sense that the the tone has been set by Andrew Barry in that front office. And it's, it's a very, I wouldn't say relaxed, but it's just, they, they feel comfortable with what they're doing. And I think they're competent 
in, in what they're doing. And I, I think that was made pretty clear by the way Glenn has kind of looked back on the past few months and not really, really being a big deal for them. And I, I think the, you asked a good question there about the college football season. I mean, that's, that's a big one for them. I mean, now is a time where they might've been not doing as much, but come in the fall, they, it'll be, it'll be tricky to get around and, and try to get to these games, get to these practices uh, and get all the information uh, that they are comfortable getting because part of being an information driven organization like the Browns are, is you got to get the guys on the ground that get the information. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the big part of it. So uh, they've got a lot of scenarios to go through, but again, from the very beginning, time has been on the NFL side with all of this. So time is now we're now at 100 days until the, the season gets started. So it's winding down, but still a lot can happen over these 100 days. Yeah, I, a lot can happen. And, you know, we were we were lucky enough this season for the draft to happen, still to happen because a lot of the guys on the ground that will be reporting to Glenn Cook had already been in college towns and, and been there on weekends watching football games in person and watching tape and getting to know these guys before we were on shutdown. Uh, you know, that, that process starts early. That process starts, as you mentioned, with spring ball and then with the fall. And I think if you don't have that, then I think it becomes a real big challenge to, to draft players that you really are blind going into or have to rely on someone else telling you either they're good, they're bad, they're good citizens, not good citizens. Yeah. No, it's it, it, hopefully they can get, we get, we all start at the same time and, and we look back on all the speculation as being unnecessary, but I, I think that's, that's the, the best case scenario, but it, it just seems like they're going to have to be able to adjust and adapt on the fly. We've been doing it for months now. Uh, it'll just be the next step in that, in that uh, direction. How important do you think it was for Andrew Barry to keep as many guys as he did? There, there wasn't a lot of turnover uh, after the draft. No, very little. And I, I think that you had the turnover pretty much right away and, and with, uh, when, he, when he came aboard. And otherwise, though, it's a lot of people he became familiar with. And I, I think that there's, uh, there's good reasoning behind that. I, I think that he, he had that comfort level, that familiarity with him during his first time here. And I think mostly the thing that encouraged me was just how many guys he elevated. I think that's the, that, that's the, the big thing that I saw when we were putting out that information. I mean, and I, I don't want to say males and females. I mean, elevating them into, into roles uh, that they weren't in before, but that he trusts them to execute. And I think that for a lot of new GMs, it's just easy to come in, clean house, and, and bring in new, new people. But uh, Andrew Barry knew that there were good people in the organization and really people that believed in the way he was going to set it up. And I, I think that really helped uh, in, this, in this transition. And you mentioned it. I mean, the front office under Andrew Barry is in lockstep and they are marching right alongside that coaching staff. And I think it's impressive to hear Cook talk about Kevin Stefanski and his staff and Stefanski and how he's handled things and how he's leading on that side of the football operation. Yeah, I think it's become just pretty clear they they are on the same page of knowing what this staff wants. And I, I think that's why it just seems like all these guys fit into the, the, the way you can, that's, it, it's almost easy to pick where these guys are going to go uh, on the field when these guys end up getting on the field. So I think the communication has been, been great. And I, I think that, I think it'll help. And I, I think it'll result in what we believe is going to be a better team this fall. 
Well, and I think that's why everybody is in – we all want to see football because we have leadership from top to bottom and we have a plan in place and it's going to be very exciting to see this all come together and hopefully into January playing some really meaningful football games. We want to thank Glenn Cook for his time. We want to thank Jeff McDaniel for all of his hard work and of course the the Browns Public Relations Department who's been working nonstop to get us guys uh, who are in the building, not in the building, and who are all over the place. Uh, we appreciate their efforts as well. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We tell you this at the end of every podcast because we want you to log on and subscribe and like the Cleveland Browns uh, best podcast available. That's what we want. We want you to like, we want you to subscribe. We also want you to check us out on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Browns. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We are back with you next week on the best podcast available.